Well, again, uh, good morning to you and happy Advent. This is the, the second Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of December, and you know when it happens that way, you have the, the first Sunday of December, but it's actually the second Sunday of Advent. That means Christmas is sneaking up on us. Uh, for those of you that I have not met before, my name is Camper Mundy. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, so we welcome all of you who are visitors. I'm sure some of you are here for grand illumination, uh, and we're glad that you uh, chose to be with us this morning uh, as we worship our Lord and King. Well, Advent, a- as you know, this is a season in the life of the church where we celebrate and where we anticipate, where we celebrate the coming of Christ, the Christ child, God becoming man in the flesh as a baby, uh, just as was read earlier this morning and, and prayed came that he might die and rise from the grave. But not only do we celebrate, we also anticipate. Advent is a season for anticipation, anticipating his return. The return of the king, the second advent, the second coming. Now, as was mentioned last week here at at Grace Covenant during this Advent season, and then the first couple of Sundays after Christmas, we're going to be in Luke chapters 1 and 2, and then even into chapter 3 at the beginning of the new year. And what we're doing is we are taking a look at some of the different people who were there for that first Christmas 2,000 years ago, considering the gospel through their eyes. So last week, uh, we took a look at Mary. Uh, Next week, it'll be Zechariah. And this week, it's Elizabeth. But before we read Elizabeth's story, I'd like to to share with you uh, another Christmas story that I heard this week. A uh, pastoral colleague down in North Carolina, uh, the oldest of three boys, uh, grew up, like most kids, very excited about Christmas, excited about Santa coming, and their grandmother always warned them about that naughty or nice thing. You better be good. Don't be naughty. Because you might find under your Christmas tree a bundle of switches. Now, my family, it was talked about as switches and ashes. I don't know about your family. Somebody else told me it was coal that they dreaded. I see some head nods, some coal in those stockings. So, of course, the boys year after year were, you know, a little worried if they had been a little mischievous. But it was one Christmas Eve. They were excited as usual. Their parents, as they did year after year, said, you have to stay in your room until Christmas morning. You cannot come downstairs until 5 a.m. Now, when I heard that, I thought, 5 a.m.? These parents are crazy. That is way too early. But anyway, that was the, that was the rule in their house. So it was one Christmas morning, 5 a.m., rolled around, and the friend who uh, was telling me the story, he was a teenager by this time, and they went downstairs, and let's just say... Santa was a little late. Uh, he hadn't yet arrived. He still needed a couple extra hours. That's why I think 7 o'clock is a good time to come. He still needed some time. And they got downstairs and there was nothing under the Christmas tree. And, yes, the older brother decided to have some fun with his younger brothers, starting to going looking for the bundle of switches that they were getting for being bad little boys. But think about that for a minute. Nothing under the Christmas tree. Now, the older brother had fun with it, but it got me thinking. What's it like when there's nothing under the Christmas tree? 
What's it like when the Christmas tree is barren? And that brings us to our text this morning, the story of Elizabeth. And our text comes from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It's found on page 855 of your pew Bible, if you're using one of those, 855. But before I read our text, uh, let's come to our Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we need you to speak to us this morning. We need you to open your word to us and us to your word. Because we are in desperate need of the life that you speak into our hearts. We need to be changed by the gospel. Would you meet us this morning? that we would hear from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So hear the word of God from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 23. And when his time of service was ended... He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 35. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of God. And what a powerful story it is. A lot of different characters mentioned in there. Uh, But like I said, again, this morning we are focusing on Elizabeth. And so what what do we know about Elizabeth? Well, we see that she's married to Zechariah. She herself is from the priestly lineage of Aaron. Uh, She is a godly woman, her husband a godly man. But we also see that she is childless and beyond childbearing years. For it says that she was advanced in years, uh, probably at least in her 60s. Now, I realize that today, 60 is the new middle age, it's the new 40. But back then, it was considered old age. So, I'm sorry, that's what the text says. But it's interesting, as you read through and, and you get caught up in all the other characters in the story. If you pay close attention to all the times that Elizabeth is mentioned or referred to. The most emphasized characteristic of Elizabeth is that she is barren, unable to have children, infertile. In the span of just 30 verses, with lots of other folks being mentioned, there are eight references to Elizabeth being barren or being beyond childbearing years. Now, barrenness, the inability to have children, was a tragic situation in the first century. It had profound economic and social implications. Economically, because parents relied on their children for financial support as they got older. That's how retirement worked back then. That's how you prepared. You had children, and they would provide for you. They would care for you. They would work and serve. Not only economically, but socially as well. Because childlessness was considered a disgrace. In the first century, fertility was often associated with divine blessing. While infertility was thought to reflect divine disapproval. Elizabeth herself in verse 25 refers to her barrenness as my reproach, my disgrace among people. And of course, there's also heartache. The personal disappointment of not being able to have a child. Now, Heather and I understand a bit of this heartache part. Um, As most of you know, our baby girl Hope was born uh, October a year ago. But we had been married for nearly 11 years before she was born. Now, not that we were trying that whole time, but for us, there were several years of wondering and waiting. A long, painful season marked by disappointment, month after month, year after year. While for us it was years, 
For Elizabeth and Zechariah, it was decades. Decade after decade after decade. Decades of heartache. Decades of economic uncertainty. Decades of social awkwardness. Well, what about you? What are your places of barrenness? We all experience barrenness of some kind or another. What are the difficult, disappointing, discouraging places in your life right now? What presents are not under your Christmas tree? Barrenness is very real. It's very painful. But barrenness is not the end of the story. Barrenness is not the end of the story. So let's consider Elizabeth for a moment before she conceived. Uh, Picking up in verse 6, verses 6 and 7. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Well, first off, I want you to notice that Luke makes it clear that their barrenness was not due to divine disfavor. Instead, Luke makes it very clear that Elizabeth and her husband were both righteous before God. Now, did they live morally perfect lives? No. No, they didn't. But they loved God and by grace followed him in trusting obedience. Or, as the Apostle Paul would would call it in Romans, they followed him in the obedience of faith. Elizabeth and Zechariah are righteous before God because they trust him. They put their faith in him. And they believe that his plans... His promises, His provisions are good. Though they have very real places of pain and suffering in their lives. Very real places of disappointment and discouragement. Things not going the way they had hoped or planned or dreamed. They also believe that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Not that all things are good but that God uses all things for good. Now maybe as we've considered over the last few moments, moments, as we've considered the barrenness of Elizabeth and Zechariah, maybe you've been reminded of another couple in the Bible, in the Old Testament. The only other couple in Scripture to be both barren and beyond childbearing years. Abraham and Sarah. And what do we know about being rightly related to God because of them? Well, I'll go back to the Apostle Paul. In Romans, he explains that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And he goes on to point out that in the Bible, in Genesis, it states, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, being right with God comes through faith in His Word. And God's Word is most clearly expressed to us, most clearly seen in Jesus, the one whose coming we celebrate every Christmas, each year. 
But do we take God at his word? In the face of your own barrenness, do you trust him? Do you look to Jesus and trust him? I remember watching a movie a couple of years ago, and I had no idea this was going to be. Heather and I watched it together, and I I did not know this was part of the storyline. But in the the film, some of the central characters, a husband and wife, were wrestling with infertility. And I remember during a, a poignant scene where the husband looked at his wife, and he said, If the Lord never gives us children, will you still love him? Will you still trust him? If the Lord never gives me, and you fill in the blank, will you still love him? Will you still trust him? And as I saw this scene unfold, I wept. Because I realized that's the question that I'm confronted with, that we're confronted with every day of our lives in the face of our own places of barrenness, whether it be health, whether it be relationships, whether it be the the economy facing a difficult time right now, whatever it is, in the midst of the very real pain and suffering, will you look to Jesus and trust him? Elizabeth answered yes. Yes, I will trust you. Because she knew that barrenness was not the end of the story. And I'm not talking about the fact that she would conceive a son. She did not know that she would conceive a son. In fact, she probably had gotten to the point with saying, God has answered our prayer and his answer has been no. We don't understand why, but we trust him and we know that he is good So she may have very well moved on from that. So I'm not talking about that. But what she did know, because her vision was bigger, it expanded beyond life as we know it, as we see it, the brokenness of this world. Elizabeth knew that, and we heard it this morning in the Advent reading from Isaiah 53. She knew that the suffering servant himself would ultimately bring us everlasting peace and healing, and that he would do so by his wounds. Elizabeth knew that the suffering servant, by taking upon himself our sin and thus embracing a barrenness far greater than any we could ever imagine, she knew that the suffering servant would usher in salvation for those who believe. And then there's that great scene when Elizabeth's teenage relative, Mary, paid her a visit. The pregnant teen... And the retired older woman. And they're sharing these wonderful, miraculous stories of what God has done. And it was there that Elizabeth learned the name of this Savior. That his name is Jesus. The amazing thing is, our places of barrenness become fertile ground for growth in God's grace When we trust him. When I was thinking about those places of barrenness, I also thought about my yard. 
uh, it's, it's a pretty ugly yard, so I don't like to, you know, invite people to, to come by because, anyway, lots of weeds. And uh, we started working on that last spring, trying to get rid of the weeds, and then that makes it look worse. I mean, then there's nothing except a little bit of grass there and a little bit of grass there. You mow the lawn, and it's just like mowing the infield uh, of, of a baseball field. I mean, it's just dust everywhere. But then we aerated the yard and had seed scattered. And I'd never really paid attention to that process. But you know, when you aerate a yard, it digs it up. And there become holes. There become little pockets, empty places, barren places. And the thing that has surprised me the most watching this process is that it is in those barren places where the seed has taken the deepest root. Where the grass is flourishing and growing the most. Again, our places of barrenness become fertile soil for God's grace when we trust Him, the Master Gardener. God says to us, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in barrenness. Now, not that He'll answer every prayer as we'd like it to be answered in this life but that He will answer every prayer far beyond our wildest dreams in the life to come, the fullness of life to come. And that's why Paul declares, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, Paul is not dismissing our pain and suffering, not at all. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know there was great pain and suffering for him as well. He's just putting it into perspective. Our places of pain and suffering, our places of barrenness are very real. For some of you, I know part of your stories. I know some of those very hard places of barrenness, some of those dark places. And I want to remind you that that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. And so how does the story end? Well, we get a glimpse in the last book of the Bible. The Apostle John, uh, as he has recorded it in Revelation, hear these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. And then the book of Revelation ends with Jesus promising, I am coming. I am coming. I am 
coming. He says it three times. And what's he referring to? The second coming. His second advent. I am coming back. And John responds with a final prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. If you know Libby Von Fange, maybe you have noticed her license plate on her car. J, come. J, come. That is the prayer. We talked about it this morning. She gets excited praying this prayer. I want us to get excited praying this prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Because he's promised to do it. And his promises are always fulfilled. Now, in another final book, final book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you may have heard that quoted from the pulpit before, but the final book, Return of the King, as you know, the people are awaiting the king's return, the king who will make all things right. But before his return, there is a long season of wondering and waiting, of barrenness. And if you remember the the character Sam and Frodo, they are on a seemingly impossible journey. And they are losing hope, beginning to be filled with despair. This isn't going to work. We can't make it. If only, if only life could be like it was in the Shire. Well, while they are taking a break on their long, dark journey, Frodo is napping. And this is the commentary on Sam. Frodo is napping. Sam is looking up, feeling hopeless. There, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark tower, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the barren, forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, Clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. For there was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. So this Christmas, don't dwell on what you have or don't have under the Christmas tree. Rather, look to the star at the top of it. The star that once stood over a manger pointing us to the first coming, the coming of Christ. And now still points us to Him, the one who is coming back to make all things right. This Christmas, yes, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate that first coming. We should. But let's also anticipate His return and the renewal of all things. This Advent season... Let's join the Apostle John. Let's join Libby, anticipating the second advent of Christ by praying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come and renew all things. For we know that barrenness is not the end of the story. Please pray with me. Lord, we, we come to you and we, and we confess to you that sometimes our, our barrenness is so heavy. The weight of our disappointments and discouragements, all the difficulties that pile up on us. 